Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, how are you? Welcome to this edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwe. So the UN Climate Summit in Dubai ended with the UAE consensus and I thought it best for me to invite the African group of negotiators for us to just take stock on what the UAE consensus means for the continent. Now I invited back Abbasanda Mohamed Nasser who is the lead negotiator for Africa on finance. He is also the Abbasanda of the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Egypt and he was the COP27 lead negotiator. Now Abbasanda thank you so much for joining us. So Dubai reached a consensus yesterday and so I just wanted to unpack with that with you in terms of what is your take on that in terms of African positions? Well you need to look at them uh, in terms of the conferences now from a different perspective because once we shifted from rule setting into implementation then major issues related to implementation becomes dominant in the discussions. So last year the, the dominance was for loss and damage and the idea of a just transition. And this year, the dominance came to the how can we reflect on fossil fuels in the text that can be taken forward with the acceptance of everybody. Um, with that, of course, there is the usual discussions that relates to how can we do that, how can we provide the support, the finance that is needed, and the capacity building and the technology transfer, which uh, in a way now are getting, I wouldn't say less important, but the focus is more on the big tickets, if you can call them, be it the loss and damage and, and just transition in Sharm el-Sheikh or fossil fuel phasing down, phasing out and uh, here in, in Dubai. So the focus, again, it was this This consumed most of the discussions and the focus and the, and the efforts. And, and that's why you see it as one of the main deliverables here in Dubai. In terms of loss and damage, there is reaching up the deal, but then again, the implementation. Where are we now in terms of realities on the ground, having uh, money that is available and countries can access? What are the next steps? I mean, funds, big funds, when they are created, they are not created over like overnight. So and it's a very complicated process. For those who have been engaged in establishing funds and new funds and operationalizing them, it's an extremely complicated process that, that ranges between legal documents, mobilizing initial initial resources for the fund to start, having members identifying what are the main policies and the main actions that needs to be taken at the beginning. And I think in the course of last year, the transitional committee that came out of Sharm Sheikh was focused on how can we make the fund operational as soon as possible. This does not mean immediate operationalization, but uh, how can we reduce the amount of effort and documents and policies that would be needed for a fund to be operationalized. And we have already established a fund in Sharm Sheikh. And then the efforts came from the EU to mobilize the initial mobilization of resources that needs to be there. So it reflects the commitment of the parties and the countries that they are really dealing with this fund and it's not like just a fund that, that will be established and then in a couple of years will fade away and you can put them on the side like like the LDC fund and SCCF fund and others. So that was it and I think the early adoption of the loss and damage fund gave a boost not because of the adoption but because of the commitments that were made for this fund which exceeded expectations. So I think now they are in the scale of 800 million. Those are initial resources for the fund to start and uh, to be operationalized. Why the, the World Bank is be, is being used as entry? Because knowing, like being in the experience of creating the Green Island Fund, if you want to go through the path of identifying different policies and agreeing on them and reviewing them, this will take you like at least four to five years. And then you have accreditation process. It's a very complicated, very painful process using an existing institution that is huge enough 
not to be consumed by this fund, but it can provide for the fund is something that came to the minds of the transition committee. And that's why the World Bank's being selected and we're being invited uh, to serve with this list of conditions that gives the assurances that this fund is uh, a new FCCC fund. It is not a World Bank fund. It's only housed by the World Bank, not created by the World Bank. And this was one of the major, major, major um, fights in, uh, within the TC where we're making sure that this is a fund that was created by this process, established by this process, under the authority of this process, and it's totally linked to this process. It's not a World Bank fund, it is a climate-related fund, loss and damage fund. So this is what we have now when we have a necessary resource mobilization. The naming of the board is, is, in, is, is ongoing now. And then the board will start by discussing with the World Bank if the World Bank will be able to fulfill the requirements and the conditions that were agreed in the transitional committee. And at the same time, start working on the policies that are needed for the quick operationalization of the fund that will be uh, adopted and approved by the board. So this is where we are on this loss and damage fund. And uh, hopefully by next year, things will be clearer and in place and, and hopefully will be by then fully operational. Is it, are we looking at towards the end of the year or somewhere closer? Well, usually it is at the next COP because COPs have to do, have to endorse documents coming out and they are the ones who give like the signal that yes, start moving on, on a specific direction. And the whole issue of just transition, it was also a big issue in terms of this particular from Shamashek to actually here, explain to us in terms of the just transition, where we and what are the key issues that Africa was pushing for in terms of just transition and what was actually achieved? Well, well, just transition was created in Sharm Sheikh because of, of the idea of that we need to have a, the right pathways to move towards like the Paris Agreement goals. And it is not one size fits all thing. This is difficult for developed countries to accept because for them, this means that the different pathways means like a clear differentiation that they want to get rid of. Um, so it was a very difficult start in, the, in Bonn in, uh, in June. Uh, and then it was also the very difficult first two uh, first week here where where they there was a lot of attempts to try to get rid of the just transition work program or dilute it or move it to, to be like a subsidiary of another existing uh, established body. I think the outcome is way much better. It, it creates the process that allows for the discussions. It gives it a timeline so it becomes a fully fledged work program with deliverables. And that will focus on specific items under discussions and that are very relevant to Africa and other developing countries. Beyond workforce, so workforce is one of it, but it's also beyond workforce. It's, it's uh, stranded assets, Is uh, how can we really uh, act activate and identify the pathways? How can we operationalize the issue of equity? So those are all elements uh, of the Just Transition Work Program, which is already operationalized here. So it was created in Egypt. They tried to work on the agenda of it, and now it was fully created. So starting from this year, we start having at least two discussions per year focused on elements of the Just Transition that allows parties to design their pathways. And the essence mainly is to, because when you look at the standard assets and you look into issues also of fossil fuel, where Africa is actually coming from, this is a continent that is actually growing and majority of this uh, country is actually uh, discovering oil and Africa requires that particular space. What was the positioning for Africa in terms of fossil fuel facing down? And I think I just want to understand in terms of what is your position in terms of what the text that has been adopted? Well, Africa was clear from day one that it is about differentiation and it is about differentiated pathways. So developed countries will take the lead and they face down and face out clearly committed. And then developing countries, including Africa, will, will come later. National circumstances have to be taken into consideration fully, and it is identified pathways at the national level. Um, 
we got some of it in the text, uh, which is the differentiation, the national circumstances, the pathways, but the issue of developed countries taking the lead and they are delivering on this first didn't pass the test. Of course, the discussions are extremely complicated and political. And I think the, the African group did their best here and the ministers also to push forward stuff. And most of it was taken into consideration, but all reformulated in a way that would be reflected in the text. So the current text lacks, and this is the my main take on the text, it lacks clear signal that developed countries are delivering on what we agreed in Paris and they are taking the lead in anything that is has to be done. If you look at the realities on the ground, most of the developed countries, especially the biggest, the largest of them, be it the US or the UK or, or others in Europe, are expanding on coal or expanding on fossil fuels. So they are not reducing. And the concerns from the African group is that if we follow this path, then the first that will not be able to use their natural resources will be the African countries. They will be the first out. So phasing out or phasing down, it will be Africa phasing out or phasing down. The assurances that were given by developed countries that this is not going to happen and, and they are taking this seriously and they are really delivering on that. I had mixed backgrounds. So you have countries like Germany who is already really shifting into renewable energies and they are not reliant except on coal and their targets to reduce their coal consumption. And you have other countries who have increasing their coal production and focusing on fossil fuels while saying otherwise in the negotiations. So we have a mixed situation and I think the agreement on the principle was extremely difficult. And then now they have also a pathway for the discussions moving forward from uh, from Dubai up to all the way until uh, we have the second round of NDCs in, uh, in Brazil in two years' time. Does that give Africa the space it requires, the space that Africa has been pushing, recognition that was there under the convention, which I've seen on the text is actually there now. But does that lacking clear in terms of guidance, in terms of the developed countries need to take the lead, does it allow Africa the space it requires to actually develop? Well, I can't say if it allows or not. This tends to be seen in the implementation side. Because what this process gives is signals and political signals and political direction. Then you have the other side of it, which is a concerning one where, where Africa doesn't have much leverage, which is um, the financial and the investments part. So I'll give you a very simple example. This process has given a lot of signals that renewable energy is the focus and we should the investments should go to renewable energy. Correct? Since I don't know when, for a very long time now, 10 years, how much did Africa attract on investments in renewable energy with all its available resources? Only 2%. So in practice, the signal is given, the direction is given, but but then it becomes problematic when it comes to practice because there are too many other stuff that is uh, an issues and challenges that has to be taken into consideration. And that's what we keep saying as Africa. It is the special circumstances of Africa has to be taken into consideration. Yes, you have a paragraph that talks about special circumstances in general. And we say that the transition is, again, nationally owned. But most of this stuff is controlled by international investments. So oil and gas, it is... Um, Big oil companies, they are mostly Western or American, European, American, or maybe Chinese and some Asian. Those are the ones. And those are the ones that needs to understand that the signal does not mean that they phase out from Africa and then they keep their operations in their own countries. It is phasing out from their own countries first and then they keep their operations in Africa because Africa needs those resources. So the message was put out clear, but again, due to the political nature of the discussion, Sometimes things fall in, in between the cracks because simply they have to have an outcome that is accepted by all. I didn't say it reflects all views, but is accepted by all. So it becomes a bare minimum, but with the right direction.
So this is what you have in the covering decision. Interesting. That also takes us to miss of implementation, which was very big. And I remember actually during week one, when adaptation kind of did not reach a consensus during the subsidiary body, developing countries wanted means of implementation actually to be kind of a standalone uh, section. And you also wanted the issues of historical emissions recognizing the principles of the CBDR recognized. When I look at the text, I see some of those things there, but then what's the reality of it? Yes, the language might be there, but then when it comes to implementation, what are the key challenges that you see? What the key ask for Africa was we shouldn't be blindsided by the next round of NDCs and phasing out and phasing down of oil and gas and forget that we already under the Paris regime. We had already national adaptation plans and first round of NDCs are still sitting there waiting to be implemented. And this covers all the way until 2030. So our clear message was let's ensure and give the assurances that those NDCs that parties have prepared will be implemented because it doesn't make sense and the process becomes less credible if you just every time you would change the goalpost and say, ah, oh, no, next, next NDC. No, no, the next NDC will be much higher. Uh, and then you don't deliver. And this this was the same thing. This is the same thing uh, which what happened in the gap pre-2020 and the discussions on the gap pre-2020. Then the very council said, okay, now let's forget about that. We'll be more ambitious in the next phase. And they are not. And the whole international community is not. And, and so our ask was, we need an assurance in the text that says that in deciding on moving forward the new quantified goal, the basis will be the needs of developing countries, the evolving needs too. It will fully take into consideration the national adaptation plans and the NDCs, because this is the only thing that, that makes sense. Because you cannot design a new goal of finance and say, yeah, we're going to provide X trillion, billion, whatever it is, without knowing how much that we want to do. And this is one of the main gains that we got on the finance part for Africa, be it in the GST decision or be it in the new quantified goal decision. It's also it's there. And then you have the other problem is that adaptation finance, as you said. And this we we tried to achieve something mm-hmm. just to give the message that adaptation finance is way too low and, and something needs to be done and, and we need to up, we need to increase the adaptation finance. We couldn't go beyond that. We tried to quadruple instead of doubling. We say quadrupling, but we couldn't go there because developed countries are not willing to take any quantified commitment on, on themselves in, in any form when it comes to finance. It's always being shifted to private sector, to innovative sources. All this stuff is being pushed to, to the other side. So that was a major point of differences. and. I would say Africa scored well on the NDCs and NAPS assurance for full support for full implementation and tried its best when it comes to adaptation finance beyond the doubling adaptation. But then there's now getting that on the text, but then again, the actual now aspect of implementing that on the ground. Again, it becomes the usual question. And I think next year with the focus on finance, it will be like the biggest ticket because we say things here and only the issues that are in line with the developed countries Benefits are the ones that are being implemented quickly. The others, which is not as one of their priorities, takes longer time and longer fights for developing countries to push and operationalize. Mm-hmm. Especially when we're talking about implementation now. Rule setting is one thing because rule setting can has to be decided in the rooms and it is a very strong and Africa there is very vocal and we can always manage to push things when it comes to rule setting. But when it comes to direction for implementation, it becomes more and more challenging. And I think this is the challenging part. Um, UAE did, did a very interesting approach this year. They worked very hard to mobilize resources and to give a message that yes, resources could be mobilized. And I think they did very well for the loss and damage fund, for the green climate fund, by pushing some of the major contributors to pledge 
Um, several pledges were made. They themselves came forward with a substantial a pledge for a big investment fund for climate change. I think it was 35 billion uh, with, with an aim to mobilize around 80 or, or 90. So they did, I think, as um, a country that has a vision and when it comes to investments and, and, and mobilizing resources, and they have very good experience, they did very well on that. But this stands to be to be seen if this will also mobilize the developed countries to, to deliver on their commitments. I mean, now countries like the UAE has come far forward and they said, OK, now we are putting the money. Let's see if the developed countries are also going to uh, to honor what they have been saying. And this was to be seen during the course of this year. Very interesting. What needs to be done in terms of this whole process to ensure that, yes, we've come from an interesting two weeks, but then again, action should be seen on ground what needs to be done i would say that we have to work on two levels one level is we should not be falling in the trap of no everything is happening and once you say that i have a potential then money will be flowing to you this is a, it never materialized because as i said africa has the potential highest potential for renewable energy and investments didn't fly we need to have our own self-assessment we need to work on our own modality for work and in that, there are many ideas, including creating an Africa-specific platform for climate action. And this platform would be the one that collects projects from Africa and presents it as a package. They, and they will come and say to the negotiators, this is the platform, those are the needs, Africa needs specific projects and programs, rather than what we have now is like the, just a generic discussion on, around frozen. And I think um, with the UAE the, delivering this platform for a follow-up on the outcomes of the UAE consensus, I think this would allow for this kind of discussion. One, the second one is we need to really be very strong as Africa in, in just transition work programs and more important on the discussion next year on the new quantified goal. Because this will again be another step forward in formulating how can we really make sure that that funding is, is flowing and it is delivering for Africa. And the third one is like uh, we need to have like clarity on the success that we had in the GCF. Africa is the biggest beneficiary as continent of the Green Climate Fund now as a region. And we need to look at how did we do that through our board members there and our the policies that were there. How did we put the pressure? And I think this is a very valid point that we need to always consider. Um, so it will be a finance year this year, I think, between the loss and damage fund discussions and the new quantified goal discussions and the work program or moving forward on the two one see like a financial flows and the next cop will be i think a finance cop this cop was more of a fossil fuel cop the next cop will be like more of a finance cop so we need to be very well prepared as civil society as governments as private sector and have a common clear messages coming forward how do we get there well i mean this is the trick i mean because africa don't have the resources to bring all of us together and this is a challenging thing we always work through the agn amsen and kahosk so we have to be focused one so i mean like our call should not be going into a political discussion are we begging are we asking uh, this is a very clear commitment from countries and second we should be focused on the clear as i said like we need to to create this platform or facility which brings together all the African projects and say, and then those for the heads of states, Africa has the facility, and these are the projects that are needed. And this will be supported by the African Development Bank, and I think this is where the bank and the commission and the AGN have a, a tripartite role to play. And to create this facility, the African Union is actually the umbrella body that basically brings all the countries yeah. together. Do you think that but is... The African is more of a political, it's a political body with a lot of activities, it's a lot of bureaucracy. The Economic Commission for Africa should be the one doing that. And then they did try last year with the climate champion from Egypt, Dr. Mahmoud Mohideen, and they did well. 
So they, they did a couple of meetings and they really collected like potential projects that could be put forward. But we are short breath, we are a short sight. I mean, like there are a lot of things that we should have to follow up and, and really elevate and we don't do that because we are distracted by something else and then we jump from one thing to another. Interesting. So just to confirm that you say the UNECA is better positioned to do that? I mean, it's, it should be part of their mandate. They, they should be working with that. They should work more with the AGN so they understand what are the potentials, the challenges, how things are moving forward. And then they should work more with the countries to pull out those projects. And the success happened last year with those roundtables that were organized and delivered. So Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mohamed Nasser. I really appreciate Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you so much. Oh. All right, thank you so much. And that was Abbasanda Mohamed Nasser, who is the COP27 lead negotiator, the Abbasanda of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Egypt, and the lead negotiator for Africa on finance, taking stock with us there in terms of Africa and the COP28. Now, ladies and gentlemen, with this episode, we close the year. Thank you so, so much for you've been amazing. Thank you for the support that you've given me. I do not know really if I wasn't assured that you would be listening, whether I would really have that strength to keep on coming back every other single by week and everything. So thank you, Asante Nisana, like we say here in Kenya. Thank you so much, Asante Sana. Now, um, remember, we have so many episodes that we've actually done and you can access them on YouTube. Yes, Africa Climate Conversations, and you can also access them on every single podcast channel that you've been accessing your podcast from. And also remember, you can access this also on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. So please allow me to take this opportunity to wish you happy holidays and a happy, happy new year. As for me, I will see you hopefully, uh, God willing, on the third week of January. So Asante Nisana, thank you so much, Kwaheri, for now. Do enjoy the holidays and take care and also remember to be environmental conscious. Cheers, ciao, bye-bye. Africa Climate Conversations.